It's great to see you today. I hope you've enjoyed this series that we've been doing on relationships and marriage. And a lot of what I'm sharing relates to other aspects of your life. There's a famous stress test called the Holmes Stress Scale. You've probably heard of it, where it measures how much stress you have in your life. If you're interested, you can find it online and it will show you different things that cause stress. But if it ever reaches 300, when you're going through something, if it ever reaches 300, you're probably on the verge of some sort of emotional breakdown because of the stress that you're going through or even physically getting sick uh, when it reaches that point. The two highest things on the stress scale is the death of a spouse, and the second one is divorce. So that bumps you up really high just to begin with. And if you've gone through a divorce or the death of a spouse, if there's other things that, that come in at the same time, which usually there is, because when you move, that adds a stress in your life. And a lot of times when these things happen, there's a moving involved. There's other things that take place. When it changes your income, when your income changes, especially going down, that adds more stress. So you can see when you go through a divorce or when you lose a loved one, especially if it's a spouse, you're probably on the verge of some sort of emotional, mental breakdown. You might not have it, but you're pushing that envelope when you go through that. It's the toughest thing that people can go through because it changes their life in so many different ways that cause stress. As your pastor, I want you to be prepared for life. I do. Life happens. You can't avoid it from happening, but I want you to be prepared. And when I talk about when a marriage ends, most marriages end by death. One of the people pass away. That's devastating. But a lot of marriages end by divorce as well. And both are painful, they're gut-wrenching, they're heartbreaking. When you look at divorce, Malachi says in 2.16, I hate divorce, says the Lord. You know, God doesn't use the word hate very much in Scripture. Why would he say, I hate divorce? Well, I think it's because of all the heartache that it brings about. You know, how it affects the kids. God's good... And anything that's devastating the hearts of people is going to be something that he doesn't like. In fact, the Bible only mentions two times where divorce, that in this situation, divorce was fine. The only two times it mentions is adultery and abandonment. You can't make somebody love you and stay with you, meaning they can leave you. Or they can leave you for somebody else. You know, both of them are them leaving you for somebody else or something else. And people have a lot of different views about abandonment, meaning like someone can still be in the home that you're in and still be abandoning you for drugs. Like you give them an either or. You either quit using these drugs. You have to choose between me and those drugs. Sometimes the other woman isn't another woman. It could be the drugs or anything else that they're pouring their life into that possesses them and stuff like that. So a lot of people, when they hear that word abandonment, they see a few things that are categorized under there. Like if a person is beating you up, they might not be the one that's physically leaving you, but they're forcing you to physically leave them. Some people count that as abandonment. But the point that I'm trying to say is most marriages should not end a divorce. Because a lot of marriages that have, it's problems that aren't, you're not getting beat up. They're not sleeping with somebody else. A lot of marriages are just people working out their issues. And God hates divorce. He doesn't want to see any of these things happen. He obviously doesn't want to see adultery happen or abandonment or these things. He wants people to work in their marriage and make it the best it can be. But no matter how much you try to make your marriage good, you can't make somebody stay with you. You can't make somebody stay here. And you're not responsible for what they do. You're responsible for your part. You do everything you can to make the marriage great, but you can't make them do that. So we go through divorce, and it's painful. And it turns your life upside down. 
And some of you here, you went through a divorce that you never asked for. It wasn't something that you wanted. You weren't seeking it. It's something that was forced upon you. And that devastates you. The thing I want to focus on isn't about sin and this type of thing. Don't do this. Don't do that. What I want to focus on is what do you do with that broken heart? You've lost someone. They passed away. It doesn't have to be your husband or wife, but you've lost someone. They passed away. How do you deal with that broken heart? You've lost someone. They've divorced you. How do you deal with that broken heart? Some people have lost children. I think that can be devastating. What do you do with that broken heart? We're going to look at six uh, specific actions to take. And my message is more geared toward divorced. But no matter what loss you've gone through, I think you can uh, relate to some of these steps. There'll be a huge part of helping to bring healing into your life if you've gone through this. And everybody's going to go through loss. Everybody's going to go through loss. There's no way to avoid it. So these steps hopefully can help you no matter what loss you go through in your future. I was devastated when my 19-year marriage ended. And these are the steps that were used in my life to help sustain me, strengthen me, reaffirm my purpose. I can remember being so devastated that I couldn't even read the Bible because my mind was just running. I couldn't even pray because I was, uh, I think I was, well, I don't think I know. I was angry at God. God, if you knew that this was going to happen, why didn't you let me see it earlier so maybe we could have changed things and things could have been different? You know how you try to bargain with God to change what happened? It doesn't work. But nevertheless, I was angry at God a bit. I can remember that there were some things that were able to get through to me at that beginning stage. I couldn't read the Bible, but music, Christian music. I don't know what it is about music, but when I listened to the Christian music on the radio, it could penetrate through, even though I couldn't read the Bible and stuff. I could read the book of Psalms. I couldn't pray. I would try to pray to God, but I was upset. My mind was on a lot of other things. So I was a wreck when this all came about. And, oh, yeah, the other thing that hurt me a lot is how it affected my kids. You know, how could a loving God allow my kids to go through this and allow this type of thing to happen? So I felt like I couldn't really handle life. I wanted to die, not suicidal, but my dream at that moment, because of the pain I felt in my heart, the perfect thing that would have happened is if I would have gone to sleep and never woke up, because I just wanted to escape the way I was feeling. And I woke up, by the way, guys. I'm still here. (laughs) The thing that kept me going were my kids more than anything. That was the number one thing that kept me going because I have a responsibility toward them. I love them. And that's what helped me to get up and keep going and and trying my best to do what I needed to be doing with my life right now, no matter how I felt. Because you feel like just retreating. I felt like hiding. I was also very embarrassed. And I felt so undesirable Because in my situation, she was in a relationship with somebody else. And I felt so undesirable. Like, what's wrong with me? Am I that lousy of a guy that she lost her desire for me and wants to be with somebody else? I mean, that really did a number in my head because I thought we were in love. And I thought that things were great. And I couldn't understand where it went wrong. I was lost at that point. And since that time, she shared with me some of the things that was hurting her, but there were things that I didn't see as being so far out there that these type of things would happen. And I can remember in those darkest nights that I was going through, and all I could do is just ask God to somehow help me, somehow help me, God. And that pain of rejection that I felt devastated me. But these are the steps that I took to help me I believe that they'll help people with through any loss that you've gone through. I think you get healed from the loss over time if you do the right things, but you never forget it. And there's always some pain in there as you think back about things that happened. There's always going to be some pain. So what to do with the broken heart? The first thing that you need to do is get help. Because everything in me 
wanted to, to hide, like I said, and I felt embarrassed. So it took a lot for me to step out and seek out help. You need friends to rally around you. You need support from other people. One good thing about friends is because I was struggling even with, like, God, why would you allow this to happen? Uh, so when you're struggling a little bit with your emotions toward God at the time, it helps to have friends that are stable praying for you. Because I wasn't stable. I was feeling terrible. And it's great to have friends that rally around you. I'm going to embarrass her, but one of the persons that made the biggest impact and supported me the most is Joanne, who runs our Compassion Ministry. Sorry to embarrass you, Joanne, but uh, she came to my side. She reached out to me. Every Wednesday, I would meet with her, and we'd go for walks together and just talk and talk and talk, and she would just listen. She would let me say all the garbage that came out of my mouth that I couldn't tell anybody else, and, and I needed a friend, and she never judged me. She never judged me. She allowed me just to be honest and say what I really felt. Some of the things I said, she knew that it wasn't correct. You want to, like, that's not the way you want to go. But she would just love me and encourage me and let me get it off my chest. And those were great times, and we shared together. I miss those times. Now that I'm married and have kids, we don't get together like that like we used to. But um, that was life-changing for me one person willing to meet with me on a weekly basis. Another thing is I went to Brazil for nine weeks to hang out with this pastor friend of mine who's a professional uh, psychologist. And during those nine weeks, and I'd meet with him and talk with him and see him almost daily, that was so helpful. Not everybody has access to somebody like that on a daily basis for nine weeks. Uh, Most people, if you have a professional counselor, you go for them one hour a week. But for me, being having that access to him, because he was a friend of mine, it was like a crash course of uh, psychological help. That was uh, a great thing. And then uh, when I got back from Brazil, uh, we eventually started a divorce care group here. And the material in that divorce care group, fantastic. By the way, we're starting that class again tomorrow. Tomorrow that class starts back at uh, 7 o'clock here at the church tomorrow. If you're interested in divorce care and you let me know, uh, if you're at divorce on your connection card or whatever, I'll get you that. Uh, I'll, I'll, we'll call you make sure you get the info for tomorrow. But that class helped me so much. The information in it was so insightful, and it was exactly what I needed to hear at that time to bring about healing. People say, a lot of times people say like, I would think the first thing that you would need to do is pray. I think in, that's the first thing that logically you would do is just pray and seek God. But like I was saying, some people are, feel guilty if they feel like this is my fault. They feel guilty, and it's hard for them to get to God because of their guilt. Some people feel angry, and it's hard to get to God because of their anger. That's why I said the first thing is reach out to other people. When I say get help, I'm specifically not talking about turning to God. I'm specifically talking about the first thing you need to do is get the right people around you for support. I'm getting counseling. I've got these friends. You know, get the right people. I would say before you get in a situation like that, you want to already have the right people in your life. You get the right people in your life now and be that right person for others because when you're in that situation, that's going to help you a whole lot. Everybody's going to get in that situation not because of divorce, but just because everybody has loss. In Ecclesiastes 4, 10 and 12, it says, if one person falls, another can reach out and help him. That's what happened to me. You know, emotionally, I was crashing. But people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. And I see that now. If I would have gone through that and I didn't have the right support group around me, I would have been in real trouble. I probably wouldn't be pastoring the church right now. It helped having those friends around me already before it happened. Two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. This is saying you need help. I think of pro athletes. As good as they are, they need help. They have coaches helping them, personal trainers helping them, getting them to go beyond what they think they can do at that time. Like that personal trainer that says, okay, one more rep, and you're doing, uh, uh, okay, again, and you think, wait a minute. I thought one more was, I'm done, and then he's forcing you to do it again. But what he's doing is he's bringing out the best in you even though you don't feel like doing it. 
and then you're a great athlete because of what he's doing. Well, you need people in your life that can help you do what you don't feel like doing at that time. Sometimes at that time in your life, you don't feel like getting up and going to work. And you need somebody that says, hey, you need to go to work. You think your problems are bad now, add in the loss of a job, and things are going to get even worse. So you need those type of people in your life that can talk sense to you even though you don't feel like doing the right thing. You need support when a crisis comes. You need people who love you, that will give you wise advice, good advice, who, are, who care about you, that have some sort of like a, that unconditional love for you, that type of people. We need that in our life. Get help now, meaning get those people in your life now if you don't already have them. So when a crisis comes, you have support. The second thing that helped me was accepting reality. I had to come to grips with the idea that the marriage was over and it's never going to come back. I have to reach that point. See, I remember getting up in the morning or going to bed at night or getting up in the morning wishing and praying that I would just wake up and everything would be back to normal. Like, it's not true. It didn't really happen. Well, obviously, that's never going to happen. As long as you're wishing for that, <laughs> guaranteed, your wish will not come true because it's not going to happen. But it's something that we do. But what you learn is worry doesn't change the past. Uh, mourning doesn't change the past. Complaining doesn't change the past. Grieving doesn't change the past. Bitterness doesn't change the past. It's normal to go through these things, these feelings, when you're going through a major loss like that. But you have to face reality. The reality is this is over, and I've got to start taking steps to move on. And it's hard to do. It's devastating to do. But if I don't force myself to get up and take those steps to move on, I won't get healthier. Grief is a normal process that you're going to go through. But even while... I was in that process of grieving. The kids still had to eat breakfast. So no matter how much I was grieving, the kids still had to eat breakfast. So no matter how much my heart was broken, I still had to do what I needed to do. I still had to get up and make the kids breakfast. It wasn't all about me. And what do I need to be doing? In your life, it might be something else. Like I still have to get up and go to work, or I still have to get up and do something. But I have to move forward with life. No matter how I feel, I have to force myself to go forward. But that does help with the healing process. If I don't do that, I stay sicker longer. I, I don't get better. I don't get healed. A good example of this is King David. I wasn't able to do it like he did it here, but he's, it's a great example here. Here's what David did. David begged God to spare the child. He had a child that was sick. It looked like the child might die. David went without food and laid all night on the bare ground. He's fasting and praying. The leaders of the nation pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. By the way, David was the king. Then on the seventh day, the baby died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He was so broken up about the baby being sick, they said. What will he do to himself when we tell him the child is dead? But when David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the baby dead, he asked. Yes, they replied. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotion, and changed his clothes. Then he went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand, they told him. While the baby was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the baby is dead, you've stopped your mourning and you're eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious and the child will live. She's like praying, thinking, maybe God's going to show me mercy and, and show this baby mercy and he'll live. But why should I fast when he's dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. He's accepting reality. You know, I can't bring him back. I need to move on now. Now, obviously, I didn't have the ability to move on so quickly. I couldn't move on that quickly. But the point is, part of the healthy process is to get the help from other people, but to also, I've got to get up and start moving on. I've got to get up and start trying, taking steps forward. When a marriage ends, 
What do you do with that? Grieve? You do grieve, but you don't want to stay there. You have that, if only, if only this happened, if only that happened, if only I would have done this, if only I would have done that. You feel like resigning from life. You feel like uh, there's worry, like what's going to happen next? Uh, you feel like building a wall around yourself and isolating. But real healing comes when you get up and you face the reality, this is over. I have now got to make some other steps. And as hard as it is to go forward and make those steps, that's what part of the process is. He went to church and worshiped. One of the ways I've heard it said is you have to keep your eyes focused on what's left, not what's lost. So that's why I, my kids don't need to be fed. It was focusing on what they needed that really helped me to keep going. You might not have kids when I mean, you go through loss, but focusing on the things that you need to focus that help you to continue to move forward. By the way, let me just bring this out. Talk about the emotional feelings. They say in this thing that I was reading, for every four years in a marriage, if you go through a divorce, for every four years in a marriage, you can expect that it's going to be a year before you're, you've dealt with the pain enough that your life is starting to feel normal again, which meant, like in my situation, based on what they were saying, it was going to take five years before I would reach a point that I'm feel, starting to feel normal again. Five years, okay? And it, it ended up being true because I, I learned this statistic when I was going through divorce, thinking, how long am I going to feel like I feel? And uh, it, it was a little bit more than five years for me. But it takes time. So you can't wait five years. You can't wait five years before you get on with your life, okay? So you have to force yourself to do the, the right thing now, because if you wait till you feel better, five years from now, your life's going to be ruined if you, can't, if you can't get up and do something. Your life's going to be ruined. So you have to force yourself to do it even though you don't feel it. And then uh, it might be in your case five years, six years, seven years, eight years later before you're really feeling normal again. The third one is cry out to God. Like I said, number one, get help from other people. But you do need to turn to God. And it might take your time. You're angry at God at the first or something or you feel so guilty about your part or whatever it is that you're, you, it's hard to go to God, but you have to get to him. That's the third thing. You've got to reach a point where you can cry out to God. You can tell him how you feel. You can unload your emotions on him. He's not going to be shocked that you're angry at him even if you do suffer with anger toward him. He's not going to be shocked by that. He can handle that. In Psalms 142, it says, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for his mercy. I pour out my complaints before him, even if you're complaining about him, and tell him all my troubles. For I'm overwhelmed, and you alone know the way I should turn. And that's the truth. God's your creator. So you want to turn to God and say, God, I need you. You alone know what direction I need to go in. I need your help. I need you to make the difference. You know, the truth, and I knew the truth in my head all the time. It wasn't like, Later on, this came into my mind. I knew all along that it wasn't God's fault. I knew people make choices. And because we have a free will, everybody in this room has a free will. That's a gift, by the way. But with that gift comes negative as well. I have a free will. I choose sometimes to do something wrong with my freedom. So do my kids. So uh, uh, does my spouse or ex-spouse or so does... So do you, my friends, or whoever. We all have a free will. And because of that, we do choose wrong things. And I knew it wasn't God's fault. I knew it was a choice that people made. And people are going to choose to do things, and sometimes at your expense. And sometimes it's going to devastate you, the choices that they make. You know, it's people making choices. I knew that in my head. Okay, but in my heart, I still... I was hurt by God that somehow, in my case, he didn't take away their freedom of choice. <laughs> in my case, he, you know, God, why didn't you do it the way I want it? But it's funny, we all want our freedom, but when somebody else has freedom and it hurts us, we don't want them to have their freedom. You know, we had to realize that God grieves over this as much as you do. 
You know, uh, it hurts God. When people do something wrong and it hurts you, it hurts God too. You know, you're hurt for how it affects your kids or whoever, that hurts God too. God grieves as well. God doesn't want people to go and do the things that we sometimes do. And I can remember, like, just feeling like, God, but you knew ahead of time. Why didn't you let me find out earlier so I could stop this or whatever? And it doesn't work that way. We have to live real life. In Psalms 34, 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's God. God is close to you when you're brokenhearted. It's funny. It says he's close to you when you feel like he's a million miles away. It's when you're feeling brokenhearted, you feel like he's a million miles away, but that's when he's the closest to you. He's there for you. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. When your spirit is crushed, he's there to save you, to bring you comfort. And I did find that when I started turning toward God, it made a difference. I talked to you that I could read the book of Psalms. I could read the book of Psalms, and it was getting through. Psalms, David is very hurt as you're reading through the book of Psalms. Most of his Psalms are the pain he's going through. And I could relate to that. And I was soaking it in and soaking it in. Within time, I could start reading the Bible. But at the beginning, I couldn't. It was only the book of Psalms that was getting through. I would sit and hear a message. And my mind was on a hundred things that go. I wouldn't even hear the message. I'd be sitting there. My mind was on so many other things. I couldn't concentrate on what was being said to the pain I was in. But uh, like I said, songs got through. Music could get through to me. And the book of Psalms did. But later on... Uh, I could read in Hebrews 4, 16, it says, let us approach God with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God wants to give you mercy. He wants to give you grace in your time of need. You may have some sort of problem, not related to divorce or not not related to the loss of a loved one, but just any sort of problem where you're having pain. And God cares. He wants to care for you. He feels your hurt and your rejection and your frustrations and your bitterness and anger and resentment. He, 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 know, he feels your feeling of when you're feeling unworthy or undesirable or whatever it is that you're going through. He feels it. God is someone that you want to turn to and pray and seek. Even though I knew it wasn't God's fault, I still had to forgive God. So I could get back in touch with him. I say, forgive God. How can you forgive God? He hasn't done anything wrong. Obviously, I wasn't forgiving God because he did something wrong. I had to forgive God because in my heart, I was holding a grudge against him about what happened. So I had to forgive him so I could let it go and reconnect him. So some people, it's the opposite. You're so guilty that you can't go to God. You have to forgive yourself. God forgives you. And you have to, like, I had to forgive myself so I could let it go so I could reconnect with God. But you need that connection with God if you're going to have healing take place. It won't happen otherwise. Then the next one is this in the God's Word. When you're in a particular crisis, you can't think straight. When you're going through this, you can't think straight. But the Bible doesn't change. That's why you need the Bible. Because no matter how you're thinking about it, you read the Bible and it still says the same thing they said yesterday before you're in the crisis. It's a source of stability in your life because emotionally, I can be walking with God and then my emotions can be going in a different direction. And when you're highly emotional with the mood swings that you're going through, you can justify it. Even though the Bible says don't do something, you can justify it because your emotions are so high because of the hurt or the pain that you're going through. So you justify doing things that end up being bad for you in the long run. The Bible is stable. It's going to say the same thing before you're hurt or after you're hurt. And if you keep focused on there, it will get you on the right path. One thing I could do is, this is only because I knew this before I was hurt. I knew certain verses already in my head that I had already memorized, okay, that when I was going through this hard time, I remember laying in bed and just saying those verses over and over because I couldn't sleep at night because my mind was racing. And I can remember doing those verses over and over in my head, and I'd eventually fall asleep. It might be wise, 
because here's how I got the verse, verses memorized to begin with, is when I read impactful Bible verses, I wrote them down on a three-by-five card, and I memorized them, never knowing how much they were going to make a difference to me when I needed them in my darkest hours. And it sure beat being up all night, not being, you know, because of stress. Uh, when I'm stressed out about something, I have Philippians 4, 6, and 7 memorized in my head. And I would just say it over and over and over, and it helped me to release the stress. When I feel like uh, hopeless, you know, I have uh, Romans, the one that says, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are uh, called according to his purpose. And I would say that over and over, taking God's word and kind of cleaning out that hopelessness with, wait a minute, all things work together for the good. You know, so I had to say that over and over, kind of cleaning out that hopelessness that I felt. So uh, knowing some Bible verses, because if the Bible verse relates to what you're going through, you can remember that one because it's very relevant. So even though I couldn't read the Bible, it was amazing how I could take in those verses that I needed. In Psalms 119.25, I'm completely discouraged. Revive me by your word. It was the word of God that revived him. It wasn't like, I'm, I'm so discouraged, I need a drink. That's not what it said. I'm so discouraged, I went and took some drugs, you know, or whatever. It was God's word that brought him comfort. It was God's word that revived him. It's God's word getting to his mind that's changing him. Who's that verse? Psalms 119, 148. I stay awake through the night thinking about your promises. That's what I would do. I would take these verses. And I was awake all night because my, I had so much stress. So I would think about these verses, and they would actually put me to sleep. And then, number five in your notes, ask for and offer forgiveness. When you go through a divorce, there tends to be two extremes, especially at the beginning. It's all your fault, or it's all my fault. But the truth is, after the initial stuff is over, the truth is, both people have things in a relationship that they feel guilty about. Both people have things in a relationship that they feel resentment about. And it might not be equal. I'm not saying it's equal. But sometimes what some person did causes more harm than what somebody else does. Okay, I'm not talking about equal, but what I'm saying is in any sort of relationship, both people do things that are wrong. You know, there's things I'm guilty of. There's things she's guilty of. There's things I resent about her. There's things that she resents about me. And what I need to do first is go to God and offer up my flaws and seek forgiveness. God, this is what I've done that was wrong in this relationship that I'd like to ask you to forgive me. And then you go to that person and you seek forgiveness. But first deal with your part. Look at Psalms 38, 4, and 18. My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. But I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I have done. So take any guilt that you have and start working with God so you can forgive yourself. And then take any resentment that you have and forgive that person. It's the only way to get healing. In Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So you forgive them. That's the only way to let go of the bitterness, the anger, the resentment. When you forgive somebody... It doesn't mean that you trust them. It doesn't mean that you can ever be with them again. But when you forgive them, you're letting it go. You're saying, I'm not going to be angry about this anymore. Because before you forgive them, you think about it and you're angry. You think about it and you're bitter. You think about it and you're resentful. And you become an angry, bitter, resentful person. When you forgive them, you start letting that go. It might not change what they do in their future, but it will certainly change what you do with your future when you let it go. Sometimes you have to forgive the in-laws. Okay? You can be in a situation where this family that you loved turns their back on you. That wasn't my situation, by the way. My in-laws were wonderful. But I'm just saying sometimes, you know, you have to forgive the in-laws. Sometimes, believe it or not, you have to forgive your own parents. I've seen a situation where somebody committed adultery and their own parents were so mad at them for what they did to ruin their marriage that they got rejected by their own parents. And they thought like, oh, my parents will help me through this and forgive me. 
And eventually it happens. But, you know, sometimes you have to forgive your own parents. Sometimes you have to forgive self-righteous friends. Friends that don't really know all the details, but they're quick to judge you. And they make judgments without knowing what really happened. And you just have to forgive them. Because you can be pretty bitter about that. Sometimes you have to forgive people that you thought for sure would stand by your side. Maybe you've stood by their side over this, and you stood by their side over that. And then when it came to you, they, they, they vanished. You think, man, these are people that went through so much, and I stood through their side, by their side, and they don't want anything to do with me when I'm hurting. So sometimes you have to forgive people for that. Sometimes you have to forgive the person if you're in a situation where there was adultery involved on the other side. You don't just have to forgive your ex. You might have to forgive the person that they went out with. It's hard. It's hard. I don't know what it is about us as people that my anger toward him was greater than my anger toward my ex-wife. But she's the one that made the vow to me, not him. But my anger toward him was greater. Sometimes you have to forgive them. But what I'm trying to say is you have to forgive them all. You have to forgive them all. If you don't, you'll be bitter. You'll be hanging on to this. You're living in your past. Every time you're angry, what are you angry about? Something that happened in the past. Every time you're bitter, what are you bitter about? Something that happened in the past. Every time you're resentful, what are you resentful about? Everything, something that happened in the past. You don't have a future if your eyes are in the past. I'm never going to drive my car down the street like this, looking behind me. I want to look forward. Also, guilt's the same thing. You're looking at the past. Every time you feel guilty, every time you feel that shame, it's about the past. You have to let it go. It's the only way to get a healthy future, to get healing in your life. In Job, it says, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. It's only hurting me. I've got to forgive them and move on. I've got to forgive them and let it go. And I'm not saying it's easy. For me, forgiveness worked like this. I totally forgave them. And the next day, I would think about certain things, and I'd be angry, and I, all that hate would come back. And you know what I'd do? I'd pray all over and forgive them the next day. <laughs> the next day, I would think about it, and all that anger came back. You know? And then with time, you know that Bible verse that says, how many times do you forgive somebody? Seven times? And uh, Jesus said, no, seven times 70. I didn't know he was talking about for one offense. <laughs> but that's what it's like. It's like sometimes you have to forgive that person multiple times you think of something else or a different dynamic or, and you keep forgiving and forgiving, but you have to do that. You forgive it again. You forgive it again. You forgive it again. And then soon you don't even think about it anymore. You know, soon it goes a month and then you think about something you have to forgive them. Soon it goes a year. And then before you know it, I said soon you don't have to do it. It might be longer than soon, but soon uh, you reach a point where you don't even think about it anymore, or when it pops into your mind, you don't feel that pain. You don't even feel the pain anymore because you've forgiven them so many times over these things. Some of you are in pain right now. Some people have been in pain for, for weeks, months, years. Realize, depending on how long the relationship is, the pain, you're going to feel pain for a while. But what I'm trying to say is this. Make sure that your pain isn't there because you haven't forgiven them. Because now the pain is self-induced. You say, self-induced? No, they did it. No. Shaming them for what they did, shaming me for keeping it. It's self-induced. Make sure your pain isn't still there because of you not forgiving them. Make sure that the pain isn't still there because of you not forgiving yourself. That's self-induced. Okay? So what you want to do is learn to forgive it. Learn to let it go. And you're still going to have hurt because of the loss. But the healing process will speed up when there's forgiveness. The healing process speeds up when you let go of your guilt and shame or anything like that. That happened. You know, I know that God wants marriages to stay together. That's his design. So do we. When you get married and you're saying, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, you're planning to be with that person forever. That, that's, that's what your plan is. But the truth is, uh, it doesn't always work out that way. And uh, forgiveness is your only chance 
to get back on a healthier path after you've been devastated in these ways. I felt like, how could God ever use me again? Because I felt like as a pastor, and I still believe as a pastor, you're an example of what you should do. And I felt like, you know, my marriage fell apart, and, and what kind of an example is that? And I felt like my ministry was over, and I, I felt devastated in that way as well. What I found out about God is when God has a plan for your life, he, you know, he's not going to let what other people do ruin the plan, okay? He's going to stick with you. And then you say, well, what if I do something that's stupid, stupid that ruins a plan? You know what he'll do if you repent and turn to him? He'll take the time necessary to help you get your life back on track. Then he says, okay, now let's try again. God doesn't give up on you. If I had a son or daughter that committed a crime, I might be feeling like justice being served is correct, but it breaks my heart. I might feel all this, but you know more than anything what I want is my son or daughter to get back on the right track and end up having a good life. In my you know, obviously what they did was bad, whatever it was. You know, I hate that. But my love for my son is greater than the problem. God's love for you is greater than the problem. And maybe my son or daughter that did that, maybe it's going to take five or six or seven or eight years to work on their life to get them to where they need to be. But to me, however long it takes, I'm willing to work on them to get them there. It's my son. It's my daughter. That's how God is with you. So never think that your life is ruined. Your life is only ruined if you want it to be. But it doesn't have to be ruined. God is in the business of healing things and bringing things about and bringing change into your life for the good. If you're here today and you're considering a divorce, I would encourage you to reconsider. There are sometimes that there's sometimes that it happens, okay? But I would do everything. I would encourage you to do everything possible to try to make things work out, if, if possible. If possible, do everything you can to make things work. I think going through the divorce is always uh, going to be devastating. If there's a chance to, to avoid dev- de- devastation, that chance would be is if the marriage can work out. Divorce guaranteed devastation. If the marriage can work out, that, go that way, if it can. Maybe it can't, but do everything that you can to try um, if it's possible. Then number six, keep hoping, growing, and focusing on God's plan for your life. In Psalms 27, it says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I'd see the goodness of the Lord. God's goodness is still there. He still loves you. He still has a plan for your life. He sees your problems. He sees your mistakes. He's aware of all that. And he still loves you and wants you to succeed. Look at Philippians 1.6. God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in his grace until his task within you is finally finished. God's not through with you. He's got a purpose greater than the problem. He wants to work in your life. He wants to make things better. But there's things you need to do. You need to get good counseling from people. Uh, You need to work on the areas of your life. You know, even if you weren't the major cause of the end of the relationship, be on a personal improvement plan. plan. What can I do to make my life healthier and better than it was before? It's your choice, but I believe the rest of your life should be the best of your life. But that's up to you. It's in your hands. It's not a guarantee A lot of times that doesn't happen to people, not because that's not God's desire, but we're not willing to improve. We spend so much time blaming them for what they've done. If if we spend all of that time that we blame them and instead look at ourselves to help ourselves be better people, I think you're going to be on the right track. I would especially do this because second marriages have a way higher chance of divorce than a first marriage. A lot of it has to do with you go through the first marriage and you blame them for the divorce because they did this and they did that. They're such a lousy person, so you don't change yourself. And then you get through the second marriage, and as this starts in the the divorce, then you start realizing, maybe I'm part of the problem. What I'm trying to say is 
You don't have to go through two divorces to figure out that you're part of the problem. You were part of the problem before the first divorce because you're human, right? The fact that you're alive and breathing means you're part of the problem because everybody has weaknesses. Everybody has areas that we need to work on. So it's a chance for you to work on areas to make sure that the rest of your life is the best of your life. People also jump the gun, like because of financial pressure or sexual pressure or loneliness, uh, and they jump the gun and they get into a relationship with someone that's not even healthy for them, or they're not healthy for the relationship, or they underestimate uh, the problems that take place when you have a blended family, like when you have stepchildren and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of second divorces are related to the, the children from the previous marriage. So you want to you want to be focusing on yourself, and you want to be uh, you want to make sure you're healthy, but you want to go into the next relationship really knowing that person, really knowing yourself, really knowing that person, and take the time it takes to make it healthy. You don't want to go through two divorces. In Job 11, it says, put your heart right, reach out to God, then face the world again, firm and courageous, then all your troubles will fade from your memory. So it says, put your heart right, reach out to God, face the world again. It's like, I've got to just keep going. And when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, soon it becomes a faded memory. The pain's not there anymore. It's a faded memory. One of the most important questions you can ask yourself if you've gone through divorce is now as a single man or as a single woman, what can I do now being single that I couldn't do if I was married? Because there's certain things you can do single that you can't uh, do if you're married because you, know, you, you don't have to think about somebody else. There, you might be able to go on a short-term mission trip if you're single. But if you're married, you, you, it might not be healthy for your marriage for you to leave for six months and do a mission trip. You know what I mean? There's just certain things you can do when you're single that you can't do when you're married. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, I don't have the verse here, but he says there's less distractions, there's more freedom when you're single. So also, if you've gone through a divorce during this time of single, Use that time for good. Do some great things that you can do as a single person that you can't do when you're married because in the future you might end up getting remarried. And there's great things about marriage that are different than being single. But live life like you can uh, uh, because you, there's certain things you can't do later. This isn't a spiritual thing, but when I was single the first time, before I ever got married the first time, I used to do bicycle rides across the country. I bicycled from here to Alaska. I bicycled from here to Miami, Florida. I've probably gone 15,000 miles maybe on my bicycle. Okay? So everywhere. Through Canada, we're, we're everywhere uh, in the United States and Canada and, and Alaska. But I did that when I was single. You know why? When I was single, I was thinking like, you know, I would make choices like that. Now, once I got married, that was over. <laughs> you, know, you can't get married and have kids and go on a 3,000-mile bike ride. It's over. You know, so I took advantage when I'm single. I did the things that you can do when you're single. And then when you get married, you don't regret like, oh, when I was single, I should have done this. Oh, when I was single, I should have done that. Do the things that you want to do while you're single. And then when you're married, enjoy marriage. Enjoy the situation that you're in. In 2 Corinthians seven ten, it says, God sometimes uses sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. It's possible that some of the pain that you go through in life, even like a divorce, could be to straighten your life out. Sometimes you go through a divorce because of something you've done wrong, and it straightens you up. Like, wow, this sorrow has straightened me up. You know how when people hit bottom, now they're willing to change? So sometimes you go through sorrow because it's the only thing that works. You get so stubborn that it's not until you're in pain that you're willing to say, okay, I'll do the right thing now. And then you're willing to seek God. So sometimes that can be used for your good, even though it's not a good thing. If you've gone through the pain of a divorce or separation or really any pain in life, you're in the right place. Because Church of the Beach Cities, it's a hospital for the hurting. And we're here to love people that are hurting. And as a part of this body, everybody in this room isn't just a patient. We're also the doctors. The minute you walked into this room, you were no longer just the patient. You might have been the patient outside, 
once you walked in this room, you are no longer just a patient. A part of being a body of a church is you're also the doctor. That means as the patient, when I'm hurting, there's doctors here to support me and help me. But as a doctor, when you're hurting, I'm here to support you and help you too. It goes both ways. Nobody in here is a doctor. I'm not the doctor. Okay, nobody here is the doctor. You know, I'm the doctor and a patient. I'm one of the patients. Nobody here is the patient. No, you're the patient, but you're also the doctor. We're here to support each other. That's what a church is. We're a hospital where everybody's injured and everybody's a doctor helping each other. David said in Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? Put your hope in God. When we're cast down, we need to turn to God. That's where he, we're going to get that confidence, that joy, that peace, and that strength back. David also said in Psalm 23, he restores my soul. Only God can really heal a broken heart. There's things that we can do, but only God can really heal a broken heart. I want to take a moment and pray, and let's just give our hearts to God. Maybe you're here today, and you say, well, the message that Jimmy's talking about today isn't what I'm going through right now, but it's things that you will go through, and there's probably people in this room that are going through it right now. So God wants you to have that type of heart of sensitivity to know that so that you can be a doctor to others right now. Let's pray. Jesus, we have hurt in our heart. We've been damaged emotionally. Our souls need to be restored, Lord, and we know that only you can bring about healing. Lord, we're committing ourselves to take these steps, but we're relying totally on you to bring us through the healing process of things that we're hurting for because of different losses that we've had. And Lord, you know the hidden hurts of everybody in this room. We're asking that you restore our souls, return beauty for ashes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.